Welcome to the Bradenville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We're located at 285 Church Street in Bradenville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. with worship to follow at 11 a.m. Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. Now, please enjoy our lesson. I've been studying the red letters of Jesus in 2020, and, and today I want us, this is going to be a two-part lesson, but I want us to think about this. Have you ever thought about what it would be like to sit at the feet of Jesus and just listen to him teach? How wonderful would that have been? And how, um, how great would it have been to be able to ask him questions? So if you were going to ask Jesus a question, what would you ask him? Think about that for just a second. I want to pause. I want you. What would you ask Jesus? If you had the opportunity, would it be a personal question? Would, it, would you ask him something about himself and, and growing up in Nazareth? Or would you ask him about his ministry? Would you ask him something about what he liked to eat? Or you know, would you ask him a personal question? Would you ask him a, a spiritual question? Would you ask him a question that you've been wrestling with for a while now? And you've been, you've been thinking about how this spiritual issue applies to your life could you could you come up with a question like that that you might want to know more from Jesus we're going to see in our, in our scripture reading today and in our lesson that there was a man who saw a situation with Jesus and he asks a question of him now to get the context here in Mark chapter 12 we're going to see that couple of people have come to Jesus now and they've already asked him questions. If, you, if you've got your Bibles open there to Mark chapter 12, you're going to see down around verse 13 that the Pharisees are going to come and they're going to ask Jesus a question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? I was tell you that. I, that wouldn't be the first question I'd ask Jesus if I was sitting at his feet. And you know, the, you know the context, enough of the context to know that these people were testing Jesus. We're going to deal with these testing questions in another lesson. The next question, that was the Pharisees. Now the Sadducees come and they want to know about the resurrection. And they set up this, they set up this, this charade, basically. And Jesus just sees right through it. Again, we'll deal with that question in a future lesson. But I want to get to the third question because now there's a scribe. And he's standing there and he's watching this interaction, this interplay between Jesus and the Pharisees and Jesus and the Sadducees. And he perceives that Jesus is giving them good answers. Now... Does that change your question? If you know that Jesus is giving good answers, and we know Jesus gives good answers, but these people are dealing with Jesus in the first person in real time, and they're struggling with maybe the identity of Jesus, and he sees that Jesus is giving good answers, and he's going to ask a question that's probably been on his heart for a while. Maybe it's something that he's wrestled with. Maybe as he's going through, going through scribe school, he was wrestling with this question. And now he sees an opportunity, and he wants to know, Jesus, what is the first commandment of all? Now we know from the context, but we also know from the, from the heart of the matter, he's not asking what was the very first commandment that God ever gave. He wants to know what is supreme. If you had to boil the law down to one commandment, what would it be, Jesus? you have any questions like that for Jesus? I think this question and the answer that Jesus gives helps to answer a lot of questions that we might have spiritually. If we could boil Christianity down to its essence, 
what would it be? If we could get down to the nitty-gritty with Christianity, what would it be? And Jesus is going to tell us. He's going to give us insight into this. And to do this, Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't wing it, right? Because you know what sometimes I do when I answer questions? I just wing it. I just, I just say it in my own words, right? You, just, you answer it, whatever comes to your mind at first. But I want to notice, Jesus here doesn't do that. This reminds me of a time when Jesus was, and I'm not saying this man was tempting Jesus, but do you remember when Jesus was being tempted by Satan? And Satan puts these temptations. You remember what he said? It is written, right? It's written. Jesus is going to go back to the Word of God to answer these questions, to answer the temptations of Satan, to answer the, the issues of life. And now in this particular situation, he's not going to just wing it. He is going to go back to something that this scribe would have been familiar with. He probably would have written it on multiple occasions because that's what scribes did. You know, they were the Xeroxes of the first century. They're the ones who are responsible for taking the law and copying it into another so they could give it to somebody else. And so he's going to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And he's going to tell this scribe something that this scribe has heard, not just in, the, in his work as a scribe, but even from a young child, because this was something that they would recite uh, on a regular occasion in the homes of the, of, in the Jewish home and in the worship of the synagogue and in the worship of the temple. Hear, O Israel! The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And in that statement, we see Jesus declaring to us something that we need to wrestle with. Jump back in time to the Garden of Eden. I started to say the Garden of Gethsemane. That wasn't far enough back. We need to go back to the Garden of Eden, to the very beginning. God's created mankind and He's put him in the Garden one of the things that we know about the creation of mankind was that God, that God created man in His image, right? And so we have certain characteristics that make us closer to God than anything else in creation. He created us with intelligence. You know, there's nothing in creation that has the ability to understand concepts and principles and theories and the, the world around them like mankind can because God made us that way. But you know what else he wrote into us? He put into our, into our DNA, physically and spiritually, emotionally and mentally, the ability and the, the right to choose. Free will was put into mankind. And we see that play out in the garden. God puts man in the garden and he basically gives him a very simple job. Tend the garden. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, take care of the garden. That's pretty simple, right? Oh, by the way, there's one other rule. You see that tree over there, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Don't touch it. Don't eat from it. And we know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. Satan shows up on the scene, right, in the form of a serpent. He tempts Eve, and she sees the fruit, and she sees that it's, it's good for food, and it has the ability to make one wise, and it's pleasing to the eye, right? The less the flesh, the less the eye, the pride of life, and she takes it and she eats it. And in that moment, we see sin enter the world. And that demonstrates to us the principle that we have the ability to choose. And so in this first statement, when, when Jesus says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, the first thing we have to understand is the, the most basic decision that we can make as a human being is 
Does God exist or does He not? Is God real or is He not? And in these words that are used to describe God, is He what He says that He is? The word God, Elohim, all-powerful, right? And so do we believe that God is omniscient? He knows all. He's omnipotent. He has all power. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. The word Jehovah there is most literally translated I am, but it means the ever-existing one, that He has been and will be throughout eternity. He is eternal. He is, is by nature divine. And so the first thing that we wrestle with, and one of the things that makes this the, 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 the best answer that Jesus gave, what's the first commandment? Do you recognize God? Do you recognize Him as all-powerful? Do you recognize Him as ever-existing? That's one of the first things that we have to wrestle with. When we, when we get to an age where we can begin to understand things of a spiritual nature, when we can begin to understand things bigger than Cheerios and Sesame Street, is that we need to begin to understand that there is a Creator who has power and authority. And really what it boils down to is this. Do I want God to be? Because when you think about the, the, the difference between belief and unbelief, it really comes down to this. Do I want God to be? Do I want Him to exist? Do I want Him to have authority in my life? The agnostic, the atheist, the pagan, the unbeliever, whether they've ever, whether, whether they've ever asked themselves the question or not, will have to answer it, I don't want God to be. I don't want Jehovah to have authority in my life. You see why we're now dealing with things of a very basic but very profound nature when it comes to religion? Because the first thing that we have to wrestle with is God. Do I want Him to be or not? The Lord our God, does He exist or not? And then Jesus throws in this word, the Lord our God, the Lord, Jehovah, is one. Now, some people would look at that and say, well, that sounds kind of contradictory because that word Elohim there is plural. The word, the idea that might be transmitted through that is that, he, that there's only one of these. But that's not what the Hebrew word means there. The Hebrew word there means united. The Lord is united. The Lord is in unity. And so we understand from the Scriptures that the Godhead, represented by three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are all united in one. That means they all have, they have one purpose, they have one goal, they have one aim. Now we know from Scriptures that there is a Godhead. And so you think about examples of that. It might be in the baptism of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3. You remember that Jesus goes to John to be baptized. And as he goes down into the water, <clears throat> he's coming up out of the water. This is the Son. The Son is present here. He's the one being baptized. There's a, 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 a dove descending. And, and the Bible tells us that's the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus like a dove. And then you hear this voice. This isn't the Son talking. This isn't the Holy Spirit talking. This is the third person of the Godhead saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's just one picture 
of the interaction, the interplay, but most importantly, the existence of the Godhead. Now you fast forward in time to the end of Jesus' ministry. He's now been crucified. He's been buried. He's risen again. And he's about to ascend into heaven. And he tells his disciples, all authority, this is Matthew chapter 20, all authority, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. Listen to what he says. Baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is united. And so that's the next thing that we got to wrestle with is the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all united in one. But that's not where it stops here. The grace command continues. And Jesus continued in verse uh, 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. So now that we've wrestled with whether God exists or not, and let me be very clear here. I want to be crystal clear. God exists. It's whether we want Him to exist and whether we want Him to be the Lord of our life is what we're wrestling with here. That's the decision we ought to make. So once we've wrestled through that, once we've come to the decision that in my life, I'm going to honor Jehovah as God. I'm going to, I'm going to worship Him. I'm going to, I'm going to understand the unity and honor the unity of the Godhead in my life. This is what it looks like. It looks like love. Now, when we say the word love, what comes into mind? <laughs> I like that. That's, that's timely right there, right? Because sometimes love sounds like pain, right? Sometimes love, you know, we fall in love and we fall out of love. We, we, we have a, a fond affection for something and then we decide we don't have an affection for it anymore. You know, that's not what agape love is. That kind of, that kind of love has, has a name, but it's not agape. Because when Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, he's talking about a kind of love that emanates, first off, from God, and then is personified in the way we act towards other people. Agape is the determined decision to put somebody else's interest ahead of my own. And it's, it's demonstrated to us through the picture of the cross, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's a determined decision to put you ahead of me. God loved you enough when you were in sin. When I was in sin, God loved us enough to send Jesus to die on the cross. That's what love looks like. And so when we think then about our love for God, um, from a certain perspective, it's not a love of emotion. It's not a love of feeling. Now, I will tell you that there are emotion and there are feelings bound up in it, and we'll talk about that as we get to the end of the lesson. But love for God begins in these elements we're going to talk about. And so Jesus says we, that if, you, if you're going to if you're going to acknowledge that God exists and you're going to live a life that is commensurate with that acknowledgement, here's what it's going to look like. You're going to love the Lord your God with these four elements, your heart, 
your soul, your mind, and your strength. And I'll just tell you, when you start drilling down into those, in some areas, there's not a lot of differences between those. But I'm going to represent those to you in these four ways. The first way that we're to love God is with all of our what? Heart, right? So when you think about heart, uh, from, a ver- from a purely physical standpoint, what is the heart? The heart's the pump of the body, right? If your heart quits beating, you're going to die. And so it is the pump through which the blood circulates through the body. and It has a, it has a very physical aspect to it. But when, when you read the heart in the Bible... More times than not, it's not talking about the physical pump. It's talking about that element within us where our feelings and emotions, where our essence is, right? Jesus talks about out of the the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, we don't speak out of our pump, but it's from the, the essence of who we are inside of us. And so there is... There is a, a way in which we are to love God from our essence, from our heart. Let me show you an example of, of what this looks like. Turn over to Romans chapter 12. These are all going to be passages that you're familiar with, but I want to I help paint a picture in your mind that if you were to love God with all of your heart, this is what it would look like. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12. And don't be distracted by the fact that he's going to use a word in here that we're going to use later on. But I want you to see this is is what loving God with all our heart, this is an example of what loving God with all our heart looks like. Romans chapter 12 verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's two main elements of this passage I want us to focus on. First of all, sacrifice. Sacrifice is bound up in the word love, right? Because I am going to put you ahead of me. I'm going to submit my will to the will of God. Now, there's basically three elements to a sacrifice. If you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible and you look at this and you study the sacrifices of the Old Testament and the sacrifices that we are to make in the New Testament, there's three basic elements. Number one, it has to be what God asked for. It has to be what God asked for. If God asks for this and you give Him that, that's not a sacrifice. It's not acceptable to God. You may consider a sacrifice, but it's not acceptable to God. It has to be the best you can offer, right? Don't bring the lame and the maimed and the blind to me. You bring the best. And the third thing it is, it has to come from the heart. That was one of the biggest problems that the, that the, the Jewish leaders of the Old Testament and the Jewish leaders, particularly in the days that Jesus had, was they were good at the mechanics of sacrificing. Their heart was never in it. They thought they were going to get to heaven by their own self-righteousness. By going through the motions, they were going to put God in debt to them so that He would take them to heaven and they'd have eternal life. And so when you think about this idea of the living sacrifice here, it's, it's the idea that we're going to give God what He asked for, our bodies, our lives, our heart. We're going to give it from the heart. We're going to give it free will. 
We're going to give it voluntarily. And we're going to give Him the best we've got. That's what loving God with all your heart looks like. And it involves in a transformation because maybe my mind's not always in line with what God wants. Maybe my heart isn't in line with what God's will is. And so I'm going to have to now transform the way I think, the way I feel. We'll talk a little bit more about that. We'll come back to that. But there's a transformation that has to take place. The Greek word metamorphos means to transform from one form to another. Did you ever think your mind could transform? It can. The Bible says that it can. And so one of the things we've got to do is we've got to get apart from the world. We've got to cut the world out of our lives so that we're not being conformed to it. We're not being shaped by the world, but we're going to be metamorphosized. We're going to change our minds so that we can then prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If we want to do the will of God, we've got to change our hearts and we've got to change our minds. And it comes from loving God enough, it's sacrificing ourselves to Him so that we don't think the way we used to, we don't act the way we used to, talk the way we used to. So we're going to love God with all of our hearts. And from a certain perspective, you might think, well, that gets it all, right? Well, that's not where Jesus stopped. That's not where the law stopped. He says you love God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now the word soul here is that vital breath that's the, if you go back to the Old Testament, that was the breath of life that God breathed into mankind. And so we're to honor God, we're to love God with all of our essence here of the essence of our spirituality. And to, um, to kind of picture this, we're going to go back to Mark now, and we're going to go to Mark chapter 8. <clears throat> And we're going to see here that, uh, sorry, I'm going to stop talking so I can turn to the right, the right passage. <clears throat> we're going to see here that in order to love God with all of our soul, we've got to lose it. Now, does that make sense? If you wanted to love God with all your soul, you've got to lose it. You've got to give it up. Now, when we think about losing, we think about, we think about it being gone. Right? I, was, I went on a float trip one time, and my grandma gave me her mom's hat that she had worn, my, my grandma's favorite hat. And we got about two-thirds through that float trip, and our canoe flipped over. And I lost that hat. I mean, it was gone. Never recovered that hat. And I went and told her, and it just broke her heart, and it broke my heart too. That's not the kind of losing we're talking about here. Listen to what Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. He called the people to himself with his disciples and said, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life, the word life there is a translation of the same Greek word that we translated soul. Whoever desires to save his soul will lose it. If you make just simply saving your soul, saving your life, the essence of your life, you're going to lose it because you're going to lose focus on what you're here for. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world 
and loses his own soul, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And so we begin to see here what Jesus is talking about is we might be tempted to save our life or to, to extend our life or to put the focus of our life in this world. We might be focused on trying to get richer or to get more or to get stuff or whatever, whatever you, however you want to say that. And in doing that, we will jeopardize our soul. So how do you love God with all of your soul? you got to lose it. You've got to give it up for Christ's sake and for the Gospels because that's the only way you're going to save it. Now there again, we're talking about we're talking about denying ourselves because that's what Jesus says. We've got to deny ourselves. And so we're starting to see a pattern here now. In loving God with all of heart, we're going to sacrifice ourselves. In loving God with all of our soul, we're going to give up ourselves. We're going to deny ourselves. So you think there's going to be kind of a continuation of, of this theme through all this. And I'll just cut to the chase. There is. That's the point. We've acknowledged that God exists. We've decided we're going to honor Him with our lives. And in doing that then, and to love God, we're going to give ourselves up heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now let's talk, let's talk about the mind here. The mind is the, 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 the reasoning capacity of our, of our body. And so in it, there's the ability to know and to reason. And so at some point in time, as you're growing up, we use the phrase, you know, age of accountability. But there's an age in which we begin to understand things of a spiritual nature. We begin to be able to reason about them and to understand them. There's a, there's a point in which the, the philosophy of the world begins, we begin to comprehend um, conceptual ideas. Um, you might be able to remember a time whenever you begin to understand things from a spiritual perspective rather than just a physical perspective. And that is the age when we begin to understand what, what sin is and we begin to understand the consequences of sin and the impact that sin has on our relationship to God. Well, in this, in this mind here, we see that the, the ability to reason and to think is critical in our, in our love for God. And sometimes this is where the unbeliever might appear to stumble because they say, well, there's not enough evidence, right? There's not enough evidence for God. There's not enough proof that God exists. Well, first off, in just looking at the world around us, the fact that you're here today is evidence that God exists. Because in the, in the laws of nature and of physics, there's, no, there's nothing that comes from nothing. And we could spend... We could spend seven or eight lessons talking about the evidences of God from nature and from the world. But the ability to reason that God exists is a big part of us understanding that He exists. But even in that, as we grow our mental reasoning, there's a, there's a need for us to know and grow in our reasoning and our understanding of who God is and what He is and particularly his, his interactions that he has through us, through the, the person of the Son. Look at 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. And Peter's going to make a statement here 
that uh, <clears throat> you ever you ever read passages in the Bible and you read through them and you say, "Well, that sounds really good." What does that mean? Right? How do you do that? Well, that's that's what this that's what this lesson we're trying to do is to help us understand how we do love. How do we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind? And what I want to notice here is Peter's going to tell us that he wants us to grow in knowledge. And in doing so, then we're going to grow in love for God with all of our mind. Listen to what he says in First Peter, or excuse me, Second Peter chapter one, beginning of verse five. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence. Now, first of all, it's, we're going to have there's going to be some work involved, right? Diligence means that you're going to have to exert some effort. It's not going to just come to you. It's not going to fall in your lap. You're going to have to work for it. Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Excuse me. And virtue knowledge. To knowledge self-control. To self-control perseverance. To perseverance godliness. To godliness brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness love. So it gives us this list of things of virtues and, and the word virtue is in there, but I'm going to use it to describe all of them, of these characteristics of, of the Christian that he wants us to grow in. Now, we're not going to take the time to go through each and every one of these, but he's going to tell us in particular how we grow in knowledge. Notice what he says, For if these are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an interest will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So he says here that if we will grow faith, add to faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, self-control there, to temperance, patience, patience, godliness, godless, brother kindness, brother kindness, love. If we will grow in these things, we are going to abound in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, what that passage means is that we have to work at it at a day on a daily basis. You want to have faith? You better work at faith. You want to have virtue? Then you need to work at being virtuous. Being upright, being, we talked about in our class about having an excellent spirit. And that's what Daniel had. He had an excellent spirit. How did Daniel have an excellent spirit? Because he worked at having an excellent spirit. Now, one of the things I want to be careful here is we're not, we're not falling into the same trap that the Pharisees had and the Sadducees working their way into heaven. We're not putting ourselves, God, into debt to us. But what we're striving to do is to improve ourselves, to raise ourselves up, raise our thought processes, to raise our mentality. Another passage that comes to mind is Philippians chapter 4. You remember in verse 8 he says, Finally, my brethren, if there be anything that is just, if there be anything that is noble, if there's anything that is pure, if there's anything that is lovely, if there's anything that is of, of good report, if there be anything that is virtuous, I left virtue out of it, virtuous, Think or meditate on these things. And so how do we learn to love God with all of our mind? We think about things that are godly. 
We strive to grow intentionally in the areas of, of, of all of our mind that help us to be more godly. We try, strive on a regular basis to increase our faith, to increase the, the, the excellent spirit that's in us. Um, I'll just tell you, if we're not intentional about it, it won't happen. Um, we've had volunteer plants grow up at our house before. Because we're, you know, you you throw out some old tomatoes, or you throw out a, a pumpkin, or you throw out, you know, a watermelon, and you get some seeds to pop up. But I can tell you, we've never fed our family on volunteer, and you won't feed your soul on volunteer. The stuff that just happens to pop up in your life is not going to feed your soul. And so, if we want to love God with all of our mind, we have to be intentional about. It. Now, let's talk about strength. And the word strength here is the is the idea of forcefulness, of power. And this is the drive to act upon the thoughts. And, the, and, and this is really where I think the rubber meets the road and everything we talked about before. Do we love God with all of our force, with all of our strength, with all of the might that we have? Turn back just a couple of pages to 1 Peter chapter 4. And you look at verses 10 and 11. And he says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability that which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. If we're going to serve God, we need to serve Him with all of our hearts. If we're going to minister, let's minister with the ability that God gives us. And so we put our hand to the work and we do it. We love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Now, again, I'll go back to the question, how do we do that? We've kind of given some, some basic guidelines, but I want to give you one more, one more picture of this because I think this is critical. Jesus had gone back to Deuteronomy and pulled this forward to make it practical to the, to the Jews of His day. It has the same application to us to us. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and we'll end with this, with this reading here. Deuteronomy 6. And turning back there then, ask the question, why do... I've already told you why, but I'll ask you again. Why do we why do we encourage daily Bible reading? Why do we why do we emphasize that in our gathering together? Why in our Bible class time do we sing songs that that drive home to our young people the existence of God, the identity of God, the power of God, the 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 love of God? Why do we do that? It's because we want each of us to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. Listen to what God says through Moses to the Israelites that He would then say to us today. You want to love God with all of these characteristics, with all these attributes of your life. If you want that in your life, here's a good practical way to do it. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Where are you going to write it? You've got to write it into your heart. It can't just be words on your tip of your tongue. It can't be, it can't be, it can't be black and white on a page. It has to be bound up in our hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You want to learn to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength? Spend time with God on a, not just a daily basis, but an hourly basis. Talk about Him with other people. Talk to your children about Him. Let Him know how much you love Him. And let them know that they can love God just the same because He loves them. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you shall, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so He gives us here some examples. There again, the Jews did this. You know, they wrote these passages on the doorposts, and they put these little... Uh, the phylacteries on their clothing. But you know what they missed? They missed the part where he said, write it into your heart. That's what we have to do to love God with all of our hearts. We have to let Him into our heart. We've got to find those areas in our heart where we've shut God out and we've got to tear down the walls. And when God gets in there, I will tell you, I believe this with all my heart, when God gets into our hearts, He will revolutionize your life. He'll turn, it, he'll turn it completely over. He'll turn it on its top. And He'll make your life different. That's something that... Um, that's one of the reasons why we're studying the red letters of Jesus. Because I want to challenge us to let God revolutionize our lives. We want to know Jesus better. We want to understand what He's saying better. We want to love Him more. We want to learn to obey Him. Now you notice, that's just the first commandment. We're going to, we're going to dive into the next commandment next week. And I believe it's in the next commandment where we really start to see the rubber meet the road in fulfilling the first commandment. If we want to love God with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength, then we put emphasis as much emphasis on the second commandment of loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. And I'll show you some passages where, where we, we're going to see that Jesus teaches us to do that. But if, we will, if we'll let God in, he'll, he'll turn our lives around. He'll make them, um, He'll pour blessings on us that we can't understand so richly and abundantly and beautifully that we won't be able to comprehend. We won't even remember that old life because the new life's going to be so great. Maybe there's somebody here who's not a Christian who hasn't experienced the, the regeneration and the love of God. We want to encourage you today to do that. You remember on the day of Pentecost whenever, whenever Peter was preaching that message for the first time, the message of the gospel. And he was telling these people about Jesus who had come down uh, from heaven and had they, had they had nailed him to the cross. You know, it was our sins that nailed Jesus to the cross. Your sins and my sins. And when they came to understand that, they were, the Bible says they were cut to the heart. 
my question is, who wouldn't be, right? It would be those people who, who in their minds say, I don't want God to be. But if you've come to an understanding today that you understand that God is and you want Him to be the Lord of your life, then I want you to listen to what they said. They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? I would want to know that too. I would want to know what I do with that guilt, with that pain, with the, the, the anxiety that's in me because now I understand that I'm in opposition to God and I stand opposed to Him. And Peter said there, repent. Change the way you think. Change the way, that, the direction that you're going and go towards God. Repent let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You want to have your sins washed away? The Bible says you do that in baptism. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. You know, that's today. Right here in Bradleyville. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, I want to encourage you to do that. If you have, and you've let sin wander into your life, and you've been separated from the body of Christ, and you want to come back, and you want to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your strength, we can help you with that today. We're going to sing an invitation song, and if you have a need, don't let this opportunity pass by. Maybe you're not comfortable coming in front. Come catch me after. But don't leave here today apart from the body of Christ. We have no promise of tomorrow. And that's the urgency of the gospel. And that's why Paul, whenever he was visiting with Ananias, heard these words. Ananias told him, he said, what are you waiting for? Why tarriest thou, Paul? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. You can follow the example of Lee and everybody who's gone before him in their obedience to the gospel. We encourage you with this song. If you have a need, please don't hesitate to come or let me know after services. But we're going to sing this as your invitation. Let's stand and sing. Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. For more information about our church family, please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page. We hope to see you soon. Till then, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you have a good day.